Hybrid Pub Scout podcast with me, Emily Einelander. And me, Corinne Kalaski. We're mapping the frontier between traditional and indie publishing. And today's guest is Joe Valisi, editor of the new anthology from the Feminist Press, It Came From the Closet. Through the lens of horror, from Halloween to hereditary, queer and trans writers consider the films that deepened, amplified, and illuminated their own experiences. Horror movies hold a complicated space in the hearts of the queer community. Historically misogynist and often homo and transphobic, the genre has also been inadvertently feminist and open to subversive readings. Common tropes, such as the circumspect and resilient final girl, body possession, costumed villains, secret identities, and things that lurk in the closet spark moments of eerie familiarity and effective connection. Still, viewers often remain tasked with reading themselves into beloved films, seeking out characters and set pieces that speak to, mirror, and parallel the unique ways queerness encounters the world. It Came From the Closet features 25 essays by writers speaking to this relationship through connections both empowering and oppressive. From Carmen Maria Mikado on Jennifer's Body, Jude Ellison S. Doyle on In My Skin, Addie Sai on Dead Ringers, and many more, these conversations convey the rich reciprocity between queerness and horror. Joe Valisi is co-editor of the anthology What's Your Exit? A Literary Detour Through New Jersey. His creative and pop culture writing appears in Bomb, Vice, Backstage, Pop Matters, Southeast Review, North American Review, Narrative Northeast, VIA Voices in Italian Americana, among others. He has been a Pushcart Prize nominee and a notable Best American Essays for his essays, Blood Brothers. He is currently Clinical Associate Professor in the Expository Writing Program at New York University and previously served as Site Director and Faculty for the Bard Prison Initiative. Joe holds an MFA, New York University, and MAT and BA degrees from Bard College. Welcome, Joe. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. We're excited to talk to you and we're excited to talk about horror and queerness yeah. too. My, my favorite things. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about yourself and your uh, writing and publishing career so far. Yeah, well, um, you uh, thank you for reading that bio. Um, it sums a lot of it up, but I mean, essentially, you know, I've been writing my entire life. Um, I write both fiction and nonfiction, um, and I've started dabbling recently in screenwriting, which I'm um, really enjoying and feels like a very natural evolution for me, especially since I'm interested in writing horror screenplays, um, queer horror in particular. Um, and... Yeah, I just, you know, I've, I've something I've come to discover about myself. Um, you know, we all, I'll speak for myself, but I think many of us have, you know, novels that are sitting in our desks or almost got published and, you know, had an agent and, you know, didn't go anywhere or almost sold and didn't sell. And I, I definitely have um, a bit of a, a laundry list of those experiences myself. Um, but I feel like, what I love about anthologies, and this is my second, the the first one about New Jersey um, came out in 2010. So it's been a while, um, but they take so long to make. So actually it came from the closet is about five years in the making. So oh. um, yeah, yeah. It's been almost five years to the day when it comes out um, since I first thought of the idea to publication. Cool. Um, and the experience of making a book is so much different than the experience of writing a book. Um, and it's a lot more fun. And so <laughs> when I, and so when I had the idea for this, I, there was a part of me that initially thought that I might write a memoir about um, growing up queer and Catholic and Italian and, um, and having horrors as part of it or writing a series of essays. Um, and I, just kind of, I stopped myself and I said, wait a second, I think this is something that uh, needs a chorus. It needs a lot of voices. It would be, um, I would be doing such a disservice to the concept if it was only about myself and that would be so boring. And I think, um, and so that's when it sort of dawned on me that um, I wanted to create this book and I was looking for this book and I was doing one of those things where I was like, this must exist. There must be a book of personal yeah. essays from queer writers writing about horror, it must exist. It mu and it just, it didn't. And then I got in that weird area where I'm like, hmm, but is somebody making it right now? Like, <laughs> am I going to try to start and somebody else is already doing it? And, you know, you get kind of paralyzed that that's going to happen. 
And then finally you have to say F it and you have to just go do it. And I said, okay, I'm going to be a good gay Virgo and I'm going to get started <laughs> and I'm going to do it. And, and I did. And, you know, I started, you know, slowly accumulating work and putting out calls. And it's so difficult in those early days to try to figure out what the vibe and the tone of the book is. And obviously you want um, diversity of all kinds in an anthology, but there has to be like this unspoken, uh, cohesion. There has to be like this thing that feels like all the pieces belong in the same book. And I kept saying to myself, I want this to feel like a collective queer memoir. Like all the yeah. voices are going to be different. The experiences are going to be different, but I want it to feel like we're all kind of in something uh, together. Um, and it takes a little while and like a leap of faith to figure out how you're going to find that work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then there was enough work that I was able to pitch it and, you know, send the proposal a few places and feminist press was my my number one, I wanted them to pick it up and I never heard back from anybody. And then, uh, <laughs> wonderful. And then a wonderful writer friend of mine who has published two novels with the feminist press, Carly Moore, she said, send it one more time, just bother them again. I know we're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to do that in the publishing. Don't, you know, don't bother them again. But I did. Um, and this time there was a response and my editor, Nick Whitney just quickly, quickly was like, okay, okay. Don't, don't go anybody else. Let's, let's have a meeting. And then we did. And then very quickly, uh, there was a contract and there was a publisher. And then, you know, the past two years have been just working on it to make it perfect. And so that's the journey of me, but also more importantly, the journey of it came from the closet. Yeah. I love the framework of the chorus. It's very yeah. theatrical. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it goes yeah. along with the idea of screenwriting and film totally. and all that stuff. Yep. yep. Mm -hmm. Oh, Corinne, I think you need to ask your question. Oh, yeah, of course. Okay. Because it's very important to you. It is very important, very personal <laughs> to me. So Joe is a fellow horror lover. Um, I would like to know, did you see the movie Mother that came out a few years ago with Jennifer Lawrence? Yeah, yeah. The Darren Aronofsky movie. Yeah. Yes. What did you think of it? I love it. I think it's you really did? good. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, that's great. I love this because I want to like everybody hate it. I didn't, like I, it. I didn't like it either. We would just see it together. And we were both like, what the fuck is this? No, I but, was just doing the like thing. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I, I understand why people don't like it. Sure. And it, you know, if I'm being honest and if I investigate it mm -hmm. more closely and I do that thing that maybe we're supposed to do, I don't know if we're supposed to think about real life context, I mm -hmm. can be like, oh, this is so gross and misogynist. And, you know, like right. I can do some of that, you know, but I kind of, I kind of liked that it was sort of this biblical retelling and sort of this mother nature, you know, like, you know, like I'm a lifelong Tori Amos fan. I love the idea of, you know, mother oh nature. You and, guys you know, are going to be best the... friends. We are the same. We are the same okay, oh, we have a lot all, to talk about. You mentioned that you're a Virgo. I am yeah. also a Virgo. And Tori, oh. Tori Amos is like my Northern star, truly. So Same. Anyway. Wait, uh, when's your birthday? Uh, September 5th. I'm September 21st, so I'm closer oh, to the, to the Libra, end. So right, but slightly, yeah. slightly different Virgos. But right. um, yeah, no, but Tor Tori's been my number one since yeah. I was, uh, I think, 11. I, my sister was listening to Tundra the Pink, and I yes. walked past her room, and I was like, what's this? Yeah. Uh -huh. What's this crazy song you have on? I think it was The Waitress. And yeah. she was like, no, no, but listen to this next one. And then she played me Icicle, and then like uh. this weird, like me me 11, my sister 14, listening yep. to Icicle, like in the dark in the bedroom. And I'm like <laughs> shaking that. with like, oh my God, Aww. I don't know. <laughs> like this is, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. but that's why I think the mother, you know, like I, I'm sure. so, I'm so invested in that sort of mother nature as a character and, you know, anything that sort of um, puts, I mean, I'm not a religious person, but anything that sort of fucks with, um, oh, can I curse? Is that okay? Oh, yes. um, anything that, anything that, that, uh, manipulates or retells something biblical and kind of turns down, you know, it turns down its head a bit. Um, and you have that Michelle Pfeiffer performance. It's just, oh yeah, that was really talk right. about camp, man. Yeah, she, that was she just walks in and she, yeah. so I think, so maybe I want to revise and say, I can see why people wouldn't like it. If I thought about it more deeply, I've only seen it once, but I remember it. And if I thought about it more deeply, I would find things to dislike about it. But, um, and I'm not sure that we call it a horror movie, but, um, but it's the Michelle Pfeiffer of it all. Like she comes in, like I love movies that have that like really like vampy, campy, mm -hmm. almost extended cameo where like a great like actress comes in and just chews the shit out of everything and turns it upside down. And that movie has that. It has, you know, that with Michelle Pfeiffer. If, if, okay, if it were based on that performance, then yes, you, I agree. <laughs> I, would, I would agree also, yes. Mom, you I have to like it now, like Corinne. 
<laughs> I stupidly was like, oh, she's going to get an Oscar nomination for this, right? Michelle Pfeiffer's going to get an Oscar. <laughs> That's what I was thinking when I left the theater. Everybody's like, like who? <laughs> <I know. laughs> oh, man. Good question, though, man. Oh, I hope I get questions that good in other podcasts. That's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask what your favorites. A uh, scary movie is uh, if you oh. have one or more than one is fine. <laughs> I, I mean, it's hard because I've got quite a few. I have the ones that are about nostalgia, and I have those that I sort of more intellectually um, view as favorites. Um, if I can just give you a few, I'll say that you know, sort of the 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 core of my being as a horror fan is a Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, Freddie, you know, and, and that sort of original incarnation of Freddie, um, you know, the original is just such a creative, bizarre, like masterfully made film. Um, Wes Craven's incredible. And the Scream franchise is probably my favorite contemporary, you know, franchise. Because um, I think that despite movies sort of dipping in quality in some ways that, you know, like overall, it's just the strongest of all of those slasher franchises. Every movie has something very, um, very worthwhile. Um, I chickened I say... out asking you that question in the ghost face voice. I was <laughs> like, I should do it. And then I was like, nah, that's too cheesy. I can't do it. <laughs> do you have like a ghost face thing on you right now? No, Please don't. do it. Please do it. Oh, you're just doing your own impression. All right. That's even yeah, better. No, I'm not going to do um, um, I, uh, and, and I think, I think the greatest slasher movie of all time, and I love that remakes keep failing is black Christmas. I think is actually uh, the best. Oh God. Well, yeah. We um, watch that together every year. <laughs> it is just, it is so scary. It is so well-written. It is so well-acted. Um, and it is what horror is. There is subversive social commentary. It's not even in the not even subversive it's there she wants an abortion it's right there yeah. in the movie it is so feminist it is so um it's doing everything and and people you know there's always you know there's just i mean you know, we don't have to go into the obnoxious troll culture of you know jordan peele's a racist because he doesn't want to make movies about white people and you know like you know <laughs> that terrible online you know troll yeah. nonsense that happens about any movie that's you know um female-led it's like hello the final girl every horror movie is like all the yeah, films that you love right. are you know about strong women sort of overcoming and outsmarting and um and and it's just so so separate of that you know when i hear that i roll my eyes because i'm like like look at black christmas like it's right there what are you talking about it's right like this is what horror has always done and that's part of the reason why um i really wanted to uh you know, I conceived of this book from the queer perspective because so much horror is coded in queerness and, you know, you have to pluck it out. And I'm certain that so many of its creators were queer and we know, of, you know, some of them, but we don't know the, you know, like, you know, I couldn't tell you like the people who worked on movies in the sixties and seventies. And, you know, you know, I don't know what was going on in their bedrooms or their lives interiorly. And like, I'm sure there are, because creativity you know, there's so much queerness and creativity in general, right? So it's like this idea that it's not there is just so, you know, so misguided, so limited. Um, so I, yeah, Black Christmas, because it does all those things that I'm referring to and does them so masterfully and, um, uh, you know, it's incredible. And then, you know, for contemporary, like, or more recent films, um, I just think Hereditary is like mm. tops. I mean, I know a lot of people don't like Ari Aster and I, Again, I'm very empathetic. I'm like, yeah, I guess I can see why you don't like that. Like, I'm always like <laughs> thinking about why, but but I just think it is such a tight, beautifully crafted, like expert film that um, is inspired by so many things that I love, but also is so much its own thing. And you know, I don't love Midsummer as much, uh, Midsummer maybe you say, um, but I still enjoy it. But I think Hereditary is like really it. I could watch that once a month and still find something uh to really be knocked out by yeah we uh we saw that together it was um it was an amazing experience the thing is we tried to watch it again with our friend to show them how great it was <laughs> and it was in their house during the day and they didn't have like good curtains on the windows and they didn't uh, have the screen calibrated correctly yeah, so yeah. you know the part 
you couldn't yeah. see it. Yeah. Like, I was enraged. Oh, that's terrible. I yeah. was like, experience. Yeah. I always, I always wondered if he like needed to go back and lighten that just a little bit to make sure, because there are people who missed it in my theater. Like they just didn't see it. Like I oh, know wow. they didn't see it because they yeah. didn't scream. They didn't comment. They didn't gasp. Like they, they mm-hmm. just missed it. Because if you look down at your oh. popcorn for a second, you miss it. You know, right. it's fast. I mean, they gave a, they, what? It was probably like 10 seconds though. Like that's a long I time. Know, yeah. but I know, but it makes you wonder how people or you know, or what some people just at, don't guys? get yeah or some people just don't get scared in the same way you know and they don't they don't see it and then of course not long after there's that terrifying sound you know yeah. that before the finale and yeah, that's yeah. pretty i mean no, it's just it just works on so many levels the the visual the sound the acting the i mean i mean you know, we can go on forever about the fact that horror performances don't get honored um yeah. for, for oscars and critics um critics awards and things like that um but i mean if they were tony collette would have just been walking home with gold after gold right like just what a remarkable performance Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i think it's people are afraid to admit that they're fallible and can be scared of things but uh... yeah yes (laughs) or it's a lesser genre the craft is not the same it's like oh you can make a horror movie on you know two million bucks and it's you know whatever but it's like no but that's what's so good about it you know exactly yeah. 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 Mm. Uh, oh, thinking about chewing up scenery in Black Christmas, Margot Kidder, like, is my oh, hero yeah. in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. You know, you would not believe how disappointed people are when you bring that movie over to their house on Christmas. Because <laughs> I did that before. Like, my friends were just like, let's come over and we'll watch Christmas movies. It's and I was like, yes, I've got a perfect Christmas movie. And like, they were all so like, what the fuck is this? And I was like, this is the best Christmas movie ever. What do you mean? What is this? <laughs> Anyway, I love you so, so fair. I love you so much. That <laughs> fair warning. It's not for everybody, I guess. So well, and the and the 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 wonderful. I don't know. We call it irony, but you know just fact that the director also did a Christmas story, right? So we had, so yes, he did like two right. yeah, semin- yeah. seminal Christmas films that are, I mean, the Christmas story is kind of a horror movie itself too. Right? Yeah, it's like, it's actually quite, I was pretty terrified that I'm, I'm like, I'm going to not be able to not stick my tongue on an icy pole. Like I'm just going <laughs> to, yeah. like, I know I'm like, I know I'm going to do it even though I shouldn't. I'm just like, that's the Freudian thing, right? Like, like the death af- drive. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like you're not afraid <laughs> of heights you're afraid of throwing yourself off a high building right like the fact that you could so yeah no um yeah he's those are two amazing movies for him to to have directed yeah i love this um this is fun yeah do you so uh do you have your own movie analysis that you wrote yourself in this yes i do i i i wrote um my piece is called imprint um and it the movie that it connects with is a little scene, although maybe you've seen it, I don't know, um, a little scene horror movie called Grace. Um, and it came out in 2010, I want to say. It's about a uh, pregnant woman who gets into a car accident with her yes. husband. The husband dies and the baby dies in her womb and she carries the baby to term, birds it, um, and kind of wills it back to life by breastfeeding it. And then it turns out little Grace needs blood, not milk. Yeah. Um, and I it just, the movie stuck with me. Um, I mean, you know, like it's a ridiculous film, but it is engrossing and it is, there is a queer relationship in the film and there's just a lot of interesting stuff going on in it. Um, but, you know, my my husband and I were, were dads to a two-year-old son named Elio, um, but the journey to having him was really difficult. We did it through surrogacy um, <clears throat> and we had, um, multiple losses including a late-term loss and uh and just I, rem- I mean so many things go through your head when you have a traumatic experience um and i remembered that's the birthing scene from grace coming into my mind um you know one of many things that came into my mind during yeah. that period um and i didn't think that i i tried to write about it and it was all very like you know like a very like depressing poem and then like a very sad essay. And then I was just like, I'm not going to do this. And then I decided I'm actually going to write a horror screenplay. So I started writing and and finished a screenplay that was closely based on our experience until it wasn't. So it was very much based in the reality of surrogacy, a gay couple losing a baby uh, late term. Um, And then it sort of winds its way into like Rosemary's baby omen kind of territory. Um, And yeah, yeah. and it was so fun to do and very cathartic. And after I did that, 
I found myself able to write the essay about that in the book. I didn't know what I was going to write. I, I was doing all this work to gather and edit. And I was coming down to the wire and sort of had like two months to get my own work in. And I, you know, I said, I need to, I can't just write the introduction because it somehow felt like if I didn't participate in the book fully, um, then it would somehow be a betrayal to the whole idea and the whole mission, the whole project. So, um, and then it just sort of, wrote itself and and it and grace became the film um that sort of anchored the experience and there are some interesting parallels to it and um but yeah i really wanted to write about queer fatherhood and the journey to it and i you know write in it that um it's not the exact quote but i say that um nothing reminds you of the limitations of what queer bodies can do together than trying to start a family oh, um God, yeah. and and it really that really was just banging behind my eyes the whole time. And um, so I wrote my essay. So it's, it's a bit of a heavy one. Uh, most, yeah. most of the essays in the book are um, somebody said to me, Oh, the cover so campy, but the essays are so serious. And I said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Like that's that, that it's queerness, right? It is, it is um, it's campy and it's, and it's dead serious and it's, you know, fabulous and artistic and, you know, it's emotional and so is horror. And so um, if you're looking for a collection of like funny essays about queerness and horror, you're not going to quite find them, though there are moments of humor in, in many of the essays. But, but this is like serious memoir that is all um, in the language of horror movie. Um, yeah. And I'm very proud of it. Yeah. So that's my Good. piece. Uh, yeah. Grace is, is a that's an intense film. <laughs> I was not expecting you to say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't think I was going to write about it, but it's, yeah. it's the only, it was the only thing that made sense when I, when I decided that this is the way I was going to um, contribute. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me more about what you were looking for during submissions? I know that you put together a proposal and sent it to yeah. the feminist press, but like, what did you have as part of your proposal that you had already collected? And yeah. then how did you, receive submissions after that. Yeah. So uh, a great thing that happened, a, a colleague of mine at NYU, um, he's an administrator at NYU, published a piece um, in electric literature that I believe was titled at the time, uh, What Halloween Taught Me About Queerness. Mm -hmm. And he was sort of making this argument of Michael Myers and the beginning of Halloween being a uh, coming out story. And he was linking it to his own discovery of his homosexuality. Um, throughout his youth. <clears throat> and it was such an amazing essay. And I was like, this, this is the exact type of thing I want to read a book of. So I sort of said, you know, Hey, I don't know if it's going to happen, but can I, you know, reprint this down the road? If I, you know, get somebody to publish this anthology that I'm thinking about. And he was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. So I had his piece and then I, and then there are only maybe I think four previously published. The rest are all brand new essays. Okay. Um, so 25 essays and uh, I think four were previously published and are slightly slightly altered, but that was one of them. And then I um, put out just like a call on Twitter, um, a call on some forums. I, I uh, used my NYU creative writing program um, listserv to say, hey, can you spread this far and wide? Um, and it was very slow going, but a few months later, I had a few more pieces. Um, so I think in the end, before the proposal went out, I had maybe seven, seven essays. Okay. So the proposal had like seven finished essays. Um, all of the essays made it into the book. And I was very serious about that. I said, I'm not going to use someone's work just to get me my contract for the anthology and say, sorry, it doesn't fit anymore. So those seven pieces helped to sort of uh, structure what the vibe of the book would be. Um, and I, you know, wrote sort of my, you know, made my theory of the case about why we needed this. And, and it really rested on the fact that it didn't exist. And it was like, this just doesn't exist. There are other anthologies or other queer anthologies. There's other, uh, you know, there's a camp anthologies and but there's a lot of academic writing on queerness and horror, but there's not personal essay. There's no collection of personal essay. So it was very clear. I want it like very accessible film criticism and analysis, but it really at its root is creative nonfiction and memoir and personal essay. So um, I had that in there. And then when feminist press um, 
was interested, uh, Nick, my editor there worked with me to say, okay, but now before we can, you know, present it to the board, because everybody has to decide that they want to take on this book. Um, if feminist press is a wonderful, you know, legendary press, uh, but they are an independent press and they, you know, take on a few titles a season and they put everything they have into those titles, which is exactly what I wanted. I wanted, you know, um, someone who could really focus on the book and not say, Oh, it didn't really sell in the first week. I guess we're going <laughs> to just let it, you know, yeah. go to the discount bin. Um, and, you know, he said, we now have to envision what the rest of this anthology looks like, how many pieces um, and who do we want, right? Are there people that we will go after to try to solicit and, and get a piece from them? Um, is there more previously published work that you want to include? Um, what are we thinking about in terms of, diversity and demographic and how do we, you know, how do we honor um, the spectrum in every way with the knowledge that we can't hit every button and, and, you know, and get every type of writer in this book. We come pretty close. I'm really proud of it, but obviously no anthology can do that. And there are going to be some blind spots and I'm very aware of those. And, you know, uh, but we did our best to sort of you know, kind of imagine who do we want, even if the person is not a nameable figure, who are we looking for and what kind of stories are we looking for? And I was very, you know, I got some wonderful writing from, you know, I think I got 240 submissions total, I think. Wow. Um, and a lot of them were just beautiful essays that were coming out stories that linked to essays. Um, um, sorry, linked to horror films. Um, but I, I couldn't risk um, the redundancy, like right. I, like it, like this had to, every essay had to be different in some way. Every essay to be complimentary in its way. And every essay had to be somebody's favorite. So I had to think about it in those terms. Um, and it had to cover the queer experience, the queer and trans experience in a number of ways. And, you know, just life experience in terms of, you know, um, just every sort of imaginable um, facet of that. So uh, we worked on that together. We worked on soliciting writers. We made a list of a list of hypothetical writers that we might get work from, and then revised, you know, and lengthened the um, the proposal. Some other pieces had come in during that time too. Mm -hmm. So it was actually very, very lucky. Some some really wonderful. The last essay in this book, notes on sleepaway camp, which um, Viet Din writes sort of a numbered list in the vein of Susan Sontag's notes on camp, but he does it with sleepaway camp and being, um, being an effeminate Asian gay youth at camp um, in the seventies. And oh. just does this beautiful, his is actually quite funny, quite darkly funny. Um, and it's the last essay in the book. Um, and it came in right as I was resubmitting. I was like, Oh yes, what a gift. This is so amazing. And, and I, um, was able to uh, include that, like an expanded version of the proposal. And, you know, within a few days, Feminist Press, you know, unanimously agreed that they wanted it. And it was just a wonderful uh, thing. And shortly after that, we got a commitment from Carmen, Carmen, Carmen Machado um, to write an original piece on Jennifer's body. And she oh. said she'd been, she'd been waiting for years <laughs> for somebody to ask her to write about Jennifer's body for some publication. I'm so and excited. <laughs> It, it's so good. No, it's so it's 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 really good. Hers is quite funny as well, actually. So maybe I take that back. Maybe there is more humor than I'm letting on. Um, but it's all but, wrapped up together in horror. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. <laughs> all the feelings. Um, and it's such a cool piece, and it's a totally original piece. Um, and it's it's sort of debating bisexuality as queer baiting in Jennifer's body. Oh, right, right. It's it's just it's really smart and sharp, and um, and I was so. Like I, I just breathe a sigh of relief when she said that she would write something because I was like, I don't know that I can legitimately put out this book without Carmen in it. Like, right. She, like, right. Like that, like, if you think of a writer who's sort of mainstream fiction and nonfiction, but is very much one, you know, more than a foot, like most of her body in the queer and the horror spaces, yeah. um, and, it, and if she's not in there, it would have felt so incomplete and not of the time. Um, and so it was just a wonderful gift that um, she wrote that essay. And it's great. I think you'll love it. 
That's fantastic. I'm so excited yeah. to read that. And that's a great movie for her to write about. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I almost feel like choosing the person who gets to write about Sleepaway Camp, though, must have been like casting the Sugar Plum Fairy for this <laughs> for this anthology. It's like, ooh, everyone's going to want to hear about this. Or at least that's what I would think. Like, well, like well, what do you got to say about that one, huh? Well, and I didn't. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't assign films to like they just had to submit it. So I had multiple essays about the same films um, and I just let them come in and I didn't ask. I mean, you know, some writers, if I solicited them, uh, you know, Carmen said, I'm going to write about Jennifer's body. That's mine. Um, so anybody else who came in is like, Ooh, I, I can't, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I can't take this. There were a few about Sleepaway Camp. There were a few about Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, which of course is the queerest of queer. But um there is an essay about A Nightmare on Elm Street in here that is just remarkable. Um, and I wanted to favor a like a, a uh, new approach to writing about Freddy Krueger versus another piece of writing about Elm Street 2, which has a documentary all its yeah. own, you know, Scream Queen, which is a lot of fun and has been written about so much. And I just thought, I don't, you know, if the right piece had, had uh, shown up, I would have you know, yes, I would have said yes to it. But um, instead, we have this amazing piece called The Trail of His Flames by Tucker Lieberman, a trans writer oh. who, um, oh, do you know Tucker Lieberman? Uh, we just yeah. followed each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and and it is basically, uh, he says, I had this traumatic experience with a friend. It happened while I was transitioning. It was super traumatic. I don't have permission to really tell you what happened. Mm -hmm. So instead, let me tell you about how I was on um, a ton of medication when I was young and thought I was Nancy from a nightmare on Elm street and imagined myself on fire. And it's just a crazy journal of at like day one as Nancy day two as Nancy and sort of retelling the story of a nightmare on Elm street through this like hybrid of real experience, um, and real trauma mixed in with the, um, the actual narrative of the movie and sort of like these twists on dialogue from the film and things that happen in the movie, but told through this, like, it's not a fictional perspective because it's real for Tucker, but yeah. it's fictional to the film. And I'm on Elm street. I can't even describe it. It's so hard. But when I read it, I was like, Oh my, like this wow. is going to wow people. It's so strange and so beautiful. And so, painstaking um and you're gonna love that piece so i said in you know so instead of a nightmare on Elm street two piece i want this piece i want this you know and there was even some uh feminist press was super supportive and i was allowed to choose everything that went in but i remember there being a little bit like huh this is a really long kind of strange piece we don't know if it goes against the fair use act because it talks about the movie so much like oh. you know and it didn't it didn't we were able okay. to <laughs> rein it in in some ways and you know um we edited it down. Um, it's really cool. I can't, you know, but it's, it's a, it's a risky piece. Um, and I'm really happy that it's there. Yeah. What was the sort of the most popular movie across all the submissions? Was there one that was sort of like people wanted to write about more than any other? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. I, that's a really good question. So there were a few Elm Street two pieces that came in. I got a couple of Hellraiser pieces, oh, yeah, um, but none made it in. They oh. weren't right. They weren't right. They weren't. They weren't. Um, there was also a, a thing where you know I I say this with you know generosity of spirit. Um, <laughs> I I think that many people don't quite understand the craft of an essay. So I wasn't always getting essay submissions. I was getting like reviews or like kind of journaly reflections on the experience of watching the movie, but not doing much else with it. Mm -hmm. So that's why a lot of pieces um, sort of came in that way. There were a few Pet Cemetery pieces. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and there is a Pet Cemetery piece in here. Uh, Zephyr Lazowski is the girl, the welder ring, which is uh, both Pet Cemetery and The Ring. Um, so there were a few of those. And I think there was um there were a few there were a few Jennifer's body pieces. <laughs> and there, there were a few scream pieces that unfortunately uh just weren't right and didn't quite make it in. Um it didn't make it in, not quite. They they actually didn't. Um and they just wouldn't fit the vibe. But I would say generally speaking, um there there wasn't like one film that just had a, like a 
uh, pile. There was, you know, there was really, and there were also some writers who just also didn't quite understand the concept and they would write about a lot of movies at once. Uh, um, oh, and I definitely got several Exorcist essays. Oh, and that that uh, was actually quite hard to choose. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, once um, S. Trimble, they go by T, um, uh, T's essay came in, it was like, oh, this is the one. Um, it was just, you know, and that's the fun thing about this too. Sometimes you get a piece and you're like, this is, this is perfect. This is exactly what I want. Uh, but there were a few exorcist pieces and some of them, many of them are really good. And I almost toyed with the idea of like, can we have like a section that's like multiple exorcist essays? Mm-hmm. And Feminist Press was like, no, no, no. It's one essay per, <laughs> one essay per essay. I mean, one film per essay. Um, but uh, yes, maybe The Exorcist as well. I, I got a good, maybe four of those maybe. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. Yeah. That sounds about right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine there will be some nuance to your answer, but would you say mm-hmm. that there's a lot of apologia in this collection for the more transphobic and homophobic entries in the horror canon? <sighs> Interesting. Um, will you repeat the second part of the question sure, again? Yeah. I want to make sure that I'm answering it correctly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, would you say that there's a lot of apologia in this collection for the more transphobic and homophobic entries in the horror canon? Um, I think I'm getting stuck on the word apologia. Were you <laughs> like, apolo- I pronounce it apology. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. So that, sorry. Okay. 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 No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that was one. of No, no. I think, I think we're both right. But in my head, I was like, what am I, what word am I missing here? And then, apolo- yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was definitely um, sitting there. I'm like, oh, is that how you pronounce it? <laughs> We're I guess I, I just mean like there's yeah. a lot of people who are like yeah, yeah. you absolutely should not watch this movie because it's transphobic or right 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 and a lot of horror fans are like yeah but I, it means something to me yeah, even though, yeah 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 I mean I I think that I think there's a little bit in there I mean so the thing is um, and the thing that's so wonderful about the book is that for the most part. Um, the trans and non-binary writers did not like choose movies that dealt with the um, didn't really didn't really confront transphobia. They sort of were like, "Well, I am a trans writer, but I don't need to write about you know a terror train and its stupid ending, or you know, like we didn't have a you know, there's not a trans writer writing about sleepaway camp, um, you know." So uh, I I would say that you know there was, and I don't know how conscious that choice was, but I think, you know, there was a freedom that those writers understood they had. They didn't feel um, like they were forced to sort of do that work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the whole book sort of has this nuance of um, we know that we're kind of done dirty by these movies and that's okay. Like we, we are reclaiming, these films and we find our place in them um, and we're going to sort of overtake them and not sort of, nobody imposes, um, nobody imposes like unfair readings on the films. Nobody does anything that you'd be like, Hey, like, I don't see that. What are you talking about? That's not in the movie. Like there's really not like a heavy, you know, like super um, scholarly critical thing happening where it's like, you're sort of, because that can be the criticism of academic writing sometimes, right? Like you're really just reading into this way too much and this doesn't exist in the movie and, you know, nobody intended to do that. So there's not like a ton of that. It's actually quite, um, it's actually mainly about sort of the emotional and uh, experiential connection between the writer and the film. But I would say that for the most part, the trans and non-binary, trans and non-binary writers don't, um, they don't, they didn't choose those movies as a means of like either apologizing for them or making excuses for them or attacking them and saying that, you know, this is done, um, this is done, you know, some harm to me. Um, I think there's a place for that. And there's, um, there's always a valid uh, space and time for it, but the, but the writers didn't choose to do that. So um, I don't think it quite answers the question, but, but I think that, you know, Yeah. What I'm getting for, um, from this is that might be more the place for like a theoretical academic piece if someone were to do that. But this is just about people 
I would almost venture to say expressing joy um, and their connection with something that they like. So there's no need for it. Yeah. But also saying like, just because, right, just because I'm a trans and a trans or non-binary writer doesn't mean that I have to choose one of those movies, right? Like, yeah. like I don't, like I don't, like I don't, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't see my experience as being sort of like, so for example, there's a, there's a fantastic piece called, um, called Indescribable by Caro Narby, uh, a trans writer who got violently ill at the beginning of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, you know, mm-hmm. although every month feels like the beginning of it, but, um, and they, talk about being hospitalized and because there was not they didn't have the ability to sort of groom and take care of themselves the way they would when presenting to the world because they're stuck in a hospital bed and they don't have control over body hair and how it's growing and uh just this feeling of being like an it or a thing um and how disturbing that was and how traumatizing it was to be in that uh be in that place. Um, and they connect it to the 1988 remake of the blob and the film society and talk about sort of this, like the self as an other, the self as a blob, the self as a mass, like a a mass of flesh, you know, becoming sort of monstrous. Um, and so that does some of that work that I think we're we're referring to, yeah. but there is not any sort of specific transness or transphobia about the blob, right? The blob <laughs> is this, right? Like amorphous, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and they make a funny joke about the sort of the hot pink blob in the remake, right? Being sort of um, queer in its way and the way it, 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 um, it eats and wipes out like a yapping child and how that's a you know <laughs> a fun attack on, on heteronormativity um but yeah so 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 it's there but it's not there in the selection of the films if that makes sense no that totally makes sense yeah and it could have been i would have been you know thrilled if the right essay was doing that i mean i think the girl the well in the ring by zephyr lozowski does some of that and there was some direct um mingling with Samara from The Ring and also Zelda from Pet Cemetery, and the fact that Zelda was played by this man. And so mm-hmm. there's sort of this, you know, um, confusing visual that you get, like Zelda is sick, but in her sickness, she loses any femininity and she's now masculine and terrifying. And, you know, um, so there is some of that, but yeah, but I think overall, you know, if a writer had chosen to do that right on, but, um, they, for the most part, didn't. They went another route. All right. So congrats on that extremely successful Kickstarter, by the way. Over yeah, $10,000 cool. higher than the uh, $6,666 goal. <laughs> um, yeah, I was pretty shocked. Who was the one who chose that goal, by the way, that particular number? Oh, Feminist Press. Feminist I, I, Press. They're, they're, yeah. they're, um, they're a cool group of yeah. people and they they had this idea for the Kickstarter. And I was confused because I didn't know that Kickstarter reads was a thing. I didn't know that there was like a, um, there was a use for it beyond like, hey, pitching this money so I can make this thing as opposed to we've made this thing. Now we want to celebrate it and spread the word about it. And, you know, so it became sort of a hybrid fundraiser, but it's also, you know, our launch party is um, connected to it and exclusive merchandise. And yeah, it, it was that six, 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 six amount. And then I think, I think at the end it was over 18,000. So it was um, pretty, pretty rad. I, I was very surprised by it. Um, but I thought that was a fun, you know, you become kind of addicted to looking and see how many backers do we have now? How many books are being sold here as opposed to, you know, um, through other means, which I can't uh, tabulate. Um, but yeah, I think it was, I I don't know if it was Margo, the, the executive director or uh, the publicity team, but it was a, it was a good way to start. Um, definitely fun, traditionally, um, horror trophy numbers <laughs> for all the goals. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so how are they going to, the money's used for the party and publicity mostly? Yeah. Well, so um, the packages were bundles of books, uh, feminist press books, um, copies of it came from the closet, either print or ebook. And then um, our amazing uh, 
the artist who did the amazing cover design, Braulio Amato, designed a tote bag for Feminist Press, and you can only exclusively get it through the Kickstarter. I mean, maybe it'll be made available later. I was, I don't want to say for sure that mm-hmm. no one can get their hands on it again, but um, it was sort of, yeah. So, so it's both fundraising for the press and also, um, yeah, fundraising for Feminist Press, but also, um, uh, means to throw a big celebratory party. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think it'll be, um, I don't think they'll be, they'll, they'll squander it. I think they'll use it wisely. (laughs) (laughs) We are deeply upset. We can't go to this party. (laughs) I know. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think, I think it was just a good reminder to say, Hey, like, you know, the press is putting its faith and its resources behind a book they're really, really proud of and believe in. And um, so if folks can believe in the press back and help us both celebrate it and also give them, you know, a boost because, you know, um, the things that are happening right now with uh, the the monopolies of publishing houses um, is really kind of terrifying and awful. And so um, anything that can be done to sort of make sure that you get the book either from an indie bookseller or directly from Feminist Press, and then also, um, you know, make a contribution so they can continue to do their work because they do amazing work with a pretty small group of people. And, you know, the, the, the book, I'm not sure if you all have copies yet but when you get it i mean it's just it's so gorgeous and it's i pre-ordered it so yeah it's just i mean they they've just done like everything i mean it's it's really a um it's an a plus job all around i'm very very pleased and proud that um they've done such good work with it so i think it'll really be sent off into the world with um you know with my very first viral tweet ever from the came from the closet Twitter account um, was literally just a picture of my copy of the book that I just got. And I think we're at like, I think I'm at like 11,000 tweets, oh um, uh, 11,000 likes and a thousand retweets. And I was like, this is, this is a mistake. Like, is this an <laughs> algorithm mistake? It's literally just the picture of my book. It's like, I've tweeted here thousands of times over the past five years and suddenly something picture. clicked and people, uh, yeah, no, it's, 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 I mean, it's remarkable. Um, he did such a great job. And inside there are these illustrations by, um, Bishak Sam, um, who's also, um, a writer for feminist press, uh, who, uh, publishes on feminist press and, uh, does these incredible graphic novels. And there are these collages for every section. There are five Ooh. sections to the book and, we spoke in the summer last summer and we had this idea of sort of like old school um movie posters i'll show you i mean nobody can see it over this but oh it's it's black and white kind of uh, hand-drawn exactly different scenes from the exorcism that we're looking at so key scenes from uh the different essays so every essay is represented in an image somewhere in the book. Um, so Bishak sort of decided what spoke to them and made these just gorgeous um, collage prints. So it, it, it's really like a, you know, you want to buy a hard copy of this because it's kind of a piece of art, the cover, the inside, and of course the writing inside. Um, so it's, you know, a friend of mine said, man, you guys are really forcing people to buy like hard media. Like, like you have to, you got to hold this one in your hands and you have to, you know, flip through it. And you know, of course, if anyone wants to buy an ebook, thank you. Go ahead. There's also going to be, <laughs> there's also going to be an audio book, which is actually really exciting. Oh, that uh, is beautiful. Yeah. It's going to be a multi narrator yes. audio book. Um, and uh, all of the, voice actors are part of the queer community so it's a completely yeah queer read slash acted multi-narrator uh book and so i'm I, and i had no idea that was going to happen it happened kind of late in the day um and it's going to come out on the same time as the book in october they're oh. they're sort of it's going into production like fast they're doing it asap oh that um, doesn't happen all the time that's really exciting no yeah black yeah blackstone media um and they're 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 doing it real fast so we're going to have all these uh, different medium for the book will be out around the same time, which is out awesome. With the bang. Yeah. 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 So are you going to wear a costume to the party? That's an important <laughs> I, 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 I don't know if it'll be a costume, but it will definitely, um, I've been thinking it'll definitely have some queer horror iconography. Um, 
either inspired by or on. I, I don't know yet. Well, fine. Um, if if I get told that people are going to be like if it suddenly morphs into a costume party, that's different. Then I'll do my, you know, I'll be a I'll be a good soldier and I'll put on, <laughs> I'll find something. Um, but I'll definitely um it definitely will be uh, a spirited, some spirited attire. Yeah. for sure but you have a lot still, to celebrate uh, yeah 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 and we have a yeah there's a lot going on in those early weeks and um we'll be at awp in the spring oh, um with a great panel as well so the the celebrating and um discussions of the book are going to extend for quite a while which is really what i wanted i didn't want something that just came out and then that was the end i wanted something that really sparked um a, a conversation and joined an existing dialogue that I argue has been happening with the queer community and horror for a long time. And if this helps to center it, and you know, even just in the five years that um, from my conceiving of this book to it being released, um, the whether it's podcasts or social media, um, Instagram, queerness and horror are really like they're at the hip together right now. They're really, it's kind of the time. Um, so it's coming out at the right time because I feel like everywhere I turn, um, that sort of validation of, of horror as queer is kind of everywhere. Um, and so yeah. I feel like it's the right moment. You know? We go to uh, like every six weeks we go, there's like a queer horror night at one of the independent theaters and mm. there's like a drag show and a horror movie yeah and oh, I, wow. I don't know i feel like people would buy your book there <laughs> oh my god yeah everything. absolutely yeah. well the party is a yeah well yeah. we should talk about getting some copies to them yeah that that would that would be pretty rad yeah yeah and the party is gonna have a drag component and a performance and uh you know all that stuff is um and the next night carmen maria machado and Sarah Fonseca, who has um, a great essay in here, will be in discussion at the Brooklyn Museum. And Miss Malice, um, a pretty great local drag queen, is going to be moderating and doing a performance. So uh, drag culture is certainly, um, you know, very, uh, very tightly bound to uh, to horror. Um, so yeah, it, it's there's, yeah, there's a lot to celebrate. There's a lot of good stuff going on. I'm excited. Great. Um, so where can people find you online? Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at homo, homo horror, H O M O H O R R O R. Um, that was years ago, like a working title, I guess <laughs> for the anthology and it's, um, pretty catchy. So you'll find me at homo horror. I'm also, you can find me at Joe Valisi on Twitter as well, but I don't really post very much there. So it's really, uh, the homo horror account where you can find me. And, um, you can also find me at jovelisi.net, but that website is deeply under construction. I promise it will look more, uh, by the time this comes out, maybe it'll, it'll look a little more professional, but sure. um, yeah, but yeah, definitely, definitely on Twitter. That's, that's the spot right now. Excellent. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at hybrid pub scout on Instagram at hybrid pub scout pod. Um, and then online hybridpubscout.com. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. We're probably going to do this for three hours. I, yeah, <laughs> I <don't know. laughs>